Hey guys, you are listening to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am Jamie and I'm your host and I'm so glad that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We bring you new shows every Wednesday and Fridays and an amazing guest always joins me to chat about the big things in life, the little things in life and everything in between. Subscribe today to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey on your podcast player so you never miss an episode. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so excited that you're here with us today. Every week, I invite a girlfriend to join me on the show, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Before we get to our guest today, I want to thank one of our partners for today, and that is EM Jewelry Design. After graduating with a BFA in jewelry design and metal smithing from Texas Tech University, Ellen Moat found a job working for a jewelry designer in Portland, Oregon. However, when her husband's job led them to Waco, Texas, it became clear to her that if she wanted to continue working in the jewelry industry, she was going to have to do it on her own. Ellen started EM Jewelry and Design in the fall of 2015 and has since launched her original pieces on her webpage, emjewelrydesign.com. She's also been featured in the Magnolia Journal as one of Joanna Gaines' gift guide picks. Ellen's heart behind her work is to encourage, inspire, and empower women to pursue their own God-given passions. Right now, you can save 10% on your next purchase with code HAPPYHOUR. Again, that's emjewelrydesign.com. Guys, today you are listening to episode number 128, and my guest is my friend Julie Manning. Julie is a wife, a mama to three boys. She's a marathon runner and a pediatric nurse practitioner. Julie just released her first book, My Heart, earlier this month, and as someone who has read it, I highly recommend it to you guys. Julie was diagnosed with a heart condition, and in our chat today, she shares some of the factors that led to that diagnosis, plus all the ways that God has been faithful to her along the way. I cried within the first two minutes um, when I was recalling a time that Julie was so dear to me, and I will let you know, I cried a few times when I was reading her book. Her story is so compelling, and it's full of Jesus. If you or anyone you know is in the midst of sorrow or pain or struggle, Julie's words will leave you with the confidence to face the road ahead, not because of our own strength, but because of God's strength in us. Guys, I also want to remind you that the Happy Hour Live event is March 10th and 11th. It's coming up so soon. It'll be here before we know it. You can still get tickets to this event at jamieivy.com slash events. The Happy Hour Live event is such a night to remember. If you know anyone that has been to any of the shows before, they will tell you how much fun it is. In fact, I met a woman this last week at an event that I spoke at, and she has already been to an event before at my house, and she's coming back again by herself because she loves it that much. Um, I also met a woman that Thursday night that's coming alone for the first time, and I told her, I guaranteed her that she would leave with friends because it's just what happens. I'll have guests with me every night. On Friday night, we'll have two guests, and on Saturday night, we'll have two other guests. My husband cooks a great meal for us every single time. We have great swag bags that you leave away with good stuff. I have some of my favorite friends come in and sell their stuff. We have drinks and dessert and photo booths. It is just a lot of fun. And I promise you can show up alone or with a group of girlfriends. And it is so much fun. Right now, the Saturday event is sold out. Unless we get up the nerve to add some more tickets. But right now it's sold out. But there are still Friday night tickets available for March 10th. 
I'm also going to be giving away some tickets really soon on my Instagram account. So make sure you follow me there at Jamie Ivy. Okay, guys, here is my conversation with my friend, Julie. Hey, Julie, welcome to the happy hour. Hi, Jamie. Welcome to the happy hour. I'm glad you're here. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Well, this is kind of crazy because um, you and I are friends in real life, which everyone that I have on the show, I would call my friend because we spend an hour together. So therefore we're friends. But you and I actually are friends outside of me and you talking on a podcast. We do. We get to see each other and look in each other's eyeballs. It's kind of fun. Which is crazy that we are friends in real life and we live in the same city, but yet we're still doing this according to (laughs) Skype. (laughs) (laughs) So great. Because let me just tell you, it's hard to get um, two people together when kids are napping and all the things are happening. So anyhow, this is so fun for me to be able to chat with you um, because um, you are a friend of mine in real life and you wrote a book recently that I want to share the world with about. But first, mm-hmm. can I tell you one of my first memories of you? Sure. So seven years ago in October, uh, mm-hmm. my daughter's story came home from Haiti. Yes. And do you remember me calling you from the airport? I do. Okay. So <laughs> um, I don't know that we really knew each other that well before then. I don't think we knew each other very well either, but I will tell you that I was in Dallas and I was sitting on my mom's living room couch when we were talking. It's just funny that you remember that. Like it, it just brought tears to my eyes. <laughs> I can't <laughs> I'm crying. We're one minute in. Um, that was, I remember that moment because when I brought my daughter's story home, for those of you that are listening, we, we adopted her from Haiti and we were in the process for a long time. And when I got to Haiti to pick her up, um, she was really, really, really sick. I mean, really sick. And I had just been in Haiti the week before. So I had just seen her and she was like perfectly walking, talking, normal, eating everything. And then I come get her and she won't walk and she's limp and she's not eating. And my thought was, I have to get to America. Like she's mine. I'm coming to bring her home. I'm like, I have to get to America. I did not want to be in a Haitian hospital. So I get to either Miami or Fort Lauderdale, wherever, and I am really, really scared of flying the rest of the way to Austin with her. Um, And so someone, probably Leslie Peck, gave me Mm -hmm. your number um, and I called you. And I remember being so desperate for you to just tell me what to do. (laughs) But I was (laughs) I was asking a lot of you because you couldn't see me or my daughter or any of her symptoms. But I just needed you to tell me what to do. And you I know, because she was lethargic and sick and had a fever oh, and was like not responsive. It was one of my <laughs> we probably just to get scariest moments. Yes. And I just thought, I have to get to Austin. I have to get to Austin. I have to get to Dell. I have to get to the hospital. I have to get to the hospital. Um, and so I called you and you walked me through and you kind of brought me down off this ledge. And so that's my first memory oh, of you. That's so funny because, and I know we haven't shared the story of the book yet, but literally like I was in Dallas. Because John was out of town and I couldn't be by myself yet with the kids. Mm. <laughs> and so I was in Dallas because my mom was basically babysitting me because I couldn't do anything for my kids at that point. So I just think that's pretty that's, crazy. That's pretty crazy that you were in a vulnerable situation. And I felt like I was in this vulnerable situation, not knowing what to do. And you were such a just, I mean, and, and you couldn't, you didn't diagnose her. We didn't know it was wrong. You, it was just this, we just sometimes need someone to kind of walk us through the next three steps, you know, um, sure. and tell us that it's going to be okay. Not that she's going to be okay, but just like, you can do this. Like God mm-hmm. is gone before you. So that's one of my first memories of you, Julie Manning. And I that's love that so, so much. Oh, I love it. So Julie um, is married to John 
and we go to church together, which is super fun. And um, we've been on a couple trips together and it's just been fun to be able to watch you walk out the last, I guess, seven years as well in this journey that you've been on Mm -hmm. um, since you said that that happened that same year. Um, And so I I remember hearing you tell me a couple, when did you decide that you were going to write your story down in a book? Well, it was probably four years ago when um, one of the publishing companies had approached me to see if I would be willing to share my story via book. Mm -hmm. And it probably took two more years after that before we actually said, yes, we'll do it. That's amazing. Um, And and me knowing you personally, I know that, you know, a lot of people are like, man, if a publishing person came to me, I would write a book in a heartbeat. (laughs) Um, But that's just not your world, you know? It's not my world. It's not what you do. And to know that what I shared... I was going to have to go back to all those dark places where I was to relive it almost in a way in order to be able to communicate it to the reader. And I wasn't sure if I really wanted to go back there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel, I, I feel your pain a lot. I mean, you and I both know that I'm in the middle of doing this as well. And going back is really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that you and I both believe also that stories, that God uses stories in ways that we can't even imagine and in fact, I circled something in your book where you actually said, we share our stories to remember all the Lord has done and to keep our hearts anchored to the cross. Yes. Um, and so as you were thinking about, I do want to, I don't want to, what made you want to share your story then? What eventually led to you saying yes? Because you said in here, why we do it. Is that what led you to doing that? I felt like it was a step of obedience. You know, I'm, I'm the girl that likes to be the fly on the wall. Mm-hmm. and hold up the walls in the room versus being the center of attention. And so I needed to make sure that I wasn't writing this for any applause or accolades or anything like that, but literally just so that we can remember God because he's in all of our stories mm-hmm. and he's in all of our circumstances. Like there's nowhere we can go where he's not there. We can't escape him. And as we look back and, you know, things are always easier to see in hindsight. Um, but when you're going through certain things, you don't always feel God's presence, but that doesn't negate the fact that he's actually there with you and walking alongside you. Um, and so for me, literally saying yes was a step of obedience. It was a stirring from the Holy Spirit that um, literally came over me um, on one you know, New Year's Eve-ish type evening where we were looking forward to what's the next year going to hold. And there was just this stirring of, I've got to share what God has brought me through. I've got to share what um, he's done because I can't, Julie can't take any credit for it. It's all God. Yeah. We're going to get to your story in a minute, but I think it's very interesting because I think that um, with the story that you, that you shared in your book and the story that I know, and that we're going to talk about in just a second, um, it's a hard one for you because it involves so much pain and um, suffering and sorrow and confusion at sometimes I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, since you have shared your story um, in this public way of writing it down, and I do know over the past four years, I've seen you share your story a little bit more as well. Mm-hmm. What have you seen God do through you being willing to share um, the hard stuff? For me, I have heard stories about how God has met other people in their sufferings. 
through me sharing how God was with me in my suffering. Mm. And through sharing the story um, of God's redemption of me and my life and my affections, um, it has stirred someone else's soul to see God pursuing after them right where they are in the midst of their circumstances. And for me, that's, that is like the most humbling thing ever that God would use little old ordinary Julie to do his work. Mm, Yeah. And I know too, I always say that, you know, when, when we talk about like suffering and going through hard times, I always, I always tell women, uh, you're, you're either coming out of the suffering, you know, or you're in mm-hmm. the midst of it or hold on because it's in front of you, you know? And so yeah. I feel like that the, the, we can't get through this life un, untouched by suffering. Absolutely. And, um, and so I feel like when I read a story like yours um, and I read your book in like one day on an airplane, when I read a story like yours, there's I think there's something that God does with it is that when we, especially as believers, when we read someone's story of suffering and hard times, it's almost as though God tucks that in our little brain for those of us that aren't in the midst of suffering. And then mm-hmm. when it hits like a, a tidal wave over us, we have stories to kind of remind us of what God's done. I mean, he does that in the Bible all the time. We have a whole mm-hmm. book full of God's stories of telling us how he's there for his people and he redeems and he is the the caretaker and the rescue and the redeemer. But then we also have like real life people that we can talk to like Julie Manning where we can read your story and then it kind of gets tucked away. So when that title wave huh. hits us, we have that remembrance of what Julie went through. You know what I'm saying? And so I think yeah. that you being faithful, people may read your story now and be like, oh, this is cool, whatever. I'm not in suffering. And then it's going to hit. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to remember the truths that you walked through. And so I just want to say thank you for sharing because I know that it wasn't easy mm-hmm. for you. Oh, thank you. You did what you're supposed to do, girl. <laughs> Mark it off. <laughs> and now you have to do all these. And now you get to do all these interviews and things. I know, but it's fun because I get to talk to you. I know. I know. So it's good. So fun. I'm so proud of you. Okay, so everyone's wondering. They're listening. They're like, okay, well, just tell us what our story is for the love. <laughs> We're talking like, oh, you can share your story, rah rah rah, and you know they're just dying. Okay, so Julie, you released this book February first. Yes, it's called My Heart, and um. One of my favorite things is that you dedicated the story to your three boys, Noah, mm-hmm. Hunter, and Joshua. And then at the end of each chapter, I'm going to ask you later about what you did uh, with writing a little something to them. But your story, particularly the story that you wrote about, and then I want to talk to you about with your suffering and pain that you went through, starts back, I guess, when Hunter was born. Is that right? It was. Um, we had a planned C-section for Hunter's delivery because... I'd have to had a, I had to have a C-section for Noah's delivery, which is our oldest. And um, I basically was not feeling well during the surgery and the delivery of Hunter. And because I have worked, I had worked the previous six years in a cardiac ICU. When you're not feeling well, you and you're a nurse, you just kind of move your head over to the right and look at the cardiac monitor to see how your vitals are looking and I basically saw my heart rhythm go into a really bad rhythm. And I just remember thinking in my head, like, goodness, they're going to start CPR on me. And then I kind of pass out. Like, wait, can I just stop right here? Because uh-huh. were you panicking? Because let me tell you, I can't read a heart monitor. But if I could <laughs> and I saw that, I would be screaming. I I wasn't all with it, Jamie. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense then. Because you, are you under, under, I've never had a C-section, but you're awake, mm-hmm. right? 
Yeah, you're totally white. Like okay. you are so lucid and you hear everybody talking around you and it's the strangest thing because you just can't feel or sense anything from your waist down because mm-hmm. they Thank like goodness. paralyze you and yes. numb you. Uh-huh. And I mean, you feel some like tugging on your abdomen, like when they're trying to pull the baby out. But uh-huh. other than that, like you can't, you can't feel a darn thing. So you were kind of out of it because of the way you were feeling, not because of your C-section. Yeah, not because of the C-section. I, I was out of it because I was lightheaded and I was dizzy. And I felt like all of the voices in the OR at that time were like Charlie Brown style teacher. Everything was like fuzzy. Uh-huh. And, and so, no, I didn't have any like overall reaction to seeing myself go into this <laughs> yeah. bad heart rhythm because I was like, I'm really going to just pass out right now. And okay. I just kind of my eyes rolled back. Were you able to say anything to John? No. Okay. <laughs> so you see the heart monitor. I, laugh. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be laughing at this, but like when I look at it in hindsight, I'm like, if this is so Jesus to give this story to me, right. like <laughs> we can laugh at it now. I mean, I'll give you permission yeah. to do that. This is yeah. the happy hour. Um, so you're, you're, you're remembering that you're laying there. Oh my gosh, my heart monitor. I feel lightheaded. I think I'm about to pass out. I think they're going to start CPR on me and then you're out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what yep. happens next? Um, I'm surrounded by brightness and just light everywhere. And covered in a piece that I can't put to human words. Um, the only way I know to describe it is that I didn't want to leave it. And I didn't have to lay eyes on my baby boy. I didn't need to say goodbye to the man that I loved so deeply. And I didn't even need to say goodbye to Noah, who was 20 months old at home, sleeping in his crib during all this happening. Like, like I was peaceful. Like, I felt blood vessels dilate all the way down into my toes. And I was just peaceful. Do you feel weird sometimes describing that? Yes, very. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, I, I, do, I have zero doubt in you because I know you as a friend. Like, I, I have yeah. zero reason to believe that you would be, like, making this up by any means. But do you feel sometimes that some people would hear that and be very confused by that? Probably. I mean, even I was, I didn't admit this till John for, like, months. Are you I didn't know that. No, I held it in. I didn't tell anybody because what why? I felt that day. Well, one, I felt guilty. Like, who doesn't want to say goodbye to their loved ones as they're possibly dying? Oh, I see what you're saying. Because you felt like, I didn't even need to say bye to you. I felt that good. And that felt felt weird to say out loud. Yeah. Yes. Um, But at the same time, I was like, did I experience what I really experienced? Like, I wanted Mm -hmm. to have conversations with anesthesiologists to be like, listen, did you give me anything to make me feel this way? (laughs) Right. And the anesthesiologists I spoke with were like, no, there's nothing that we could have given you to, to make that happen. Um, and so I just know that somehow, somewhere, like God's presence was just over me in that moment. So in that moment, when you're feeling this peace that is unexplainable, which mm-hmm. is exactly how God calls himself, which is crazy, you're yeah. feeling this peace that's unexplainable and the, the light and you you feel as though I could, I don't want to go back. Mm-hmm. Were you physically declared dead? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. So your heart is just not working. It was, it was just beating in an inefficient manner. Okay. We'll put it that way. What could that lead to death? 
if okay. it wasn't intervened, yes. Okay, so you're on the OR, they deliver Hunter, and then what happens? Um, I don't remember Hunter crying. I don't remember John laying him on my chest. John just thought my eyes were closed this whole time. And I don't, honestly, I don't even know how much time had passed. Um, but what I do remember is that another anesthesiologist came in and they were tugging on my shoulders to get me to open my eyes. Mm-hmm. And are, are they seeing the same heart monitor that you saw? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah they <laughs> I'm were. just curious. <laughs> as if anybody else in this room notice anything <laughs> odd is what I'm wondering. <laughs> or just the nurse that's passed out on the table. I that's mean, right. That's right. So, yeah. so they're tugging at you and then this is where I'm sh- I would assume in the OR they're realizing something's not right. Yeah, something wasn't right, but I woke up and they didn't have to perform CPR. Like my heart spontaneously came out of the funny rhythm that it was in and they closed me off and they rushed me to recovery room to start doing some heart testing and some blood work testing to kind of see what was the cause of what had just happened. Okay. Um, and so, you know, not to get too technical in the medical terms, but, you know, they, they did give me, replace some of my electrolytes that were low, um, but my heart function test looked absolutely normal that day. And so they really didn't think that much was going on with my heart other than maybe, maybe it was the stress of the surgery. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. it was a little bit of an electrolyte issue, but just in case we're going to monitor you. Um, for the next 48 hours while you're in the hospital. And then we want to follow up with you in six weeks just to put hands on you again to make sure that things are okay. Okay. So and you and John have a new baby and y'all leave the hospital do. with this news of just like, man, something weird happened, right? Yes. I mean, we're going to yes. check it out. Did you feel like, oh, something weird happened? Or did you feel as though I think something's wrong? No, I just felt like I had a weird experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't think, I didn't think anything was wrong. Yeah. And then, I mean, you go on to explain um, in your story that you did find out that something was wrong. How long after you got home? It was when Hunter was six weeks old. Okay. So I went for a follow-up appointment and we did another heart test that day and it showed that my heart was in heart failure. Hmm. And so that led us down the path of lots of doctor visits and starting medications and having conversations of, you know, if your heart doesn't stop declining, then we'll have the conversation about heart transplant. Um, your heart rhythm is still wonky, so we need you to go see another type of doctor to see if we can help with that heart rhythm issue that you're having. And and so just all of these conversations started happening around my physical heart. Um, but at the same time, I was, you know, in the moment, not really emotionally connecting with the fact that I just got told I have heart failure. It was more so, okay, so I'm working in the medical field. We're going to, you know, logically and intellectually take care of this problem. Um, and it wasn't until I went in for a procedure um, to try to get rid of my irregular heart rhythm. And I woke up with burn marks on my chest, realizing that I had been shocked to be resuscitated, that it was like, no, this is happening to me and not one of my patients. Mm. This is happening to Julie. This is happening to Hunter and Noah's mommy. This is mm-hmm. happening to John's wife. Um, 
It's like you and, were compartmentalizing it at first. Like, oh my goodness, this is just totally. a case. It's a case. I know I read cases. And so, yes. yes. And then all of a sudden you had this realization, no, this is me. Yeah. Um, when you woke up from that procedure of burn marks is when you really start to think like, oh my, oh my gosh, like I, I am, my heart is huh. failing me. Yes. What, what does one think as a young mom? You're in <laughs> such good shape, y'all. You, Julie runs marathons, like runs marathons. I have run a few half marathons and I added up to a marathon. You run marathons. <laughs> What is a young mom, like what kind of emotions entered into you then? Afraid? I mean, what what were you dealing with when you took it oh. apart from a case to like myself? Capital fear. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, fear of death? Fear, well, fear of leaving my boys behind. Fear yeah. of leaving life without them getting to know my voice mm-hmm. or who I am as a person or, you know, me, fear of not getting to watch them grow up. I mean, at this point, you know, Hunter is seven, eight weeks old. And I mean, I'm still trying to be mommy to him, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and so all of those emotions went into sadness. It led into me going into this place of depression because all I kept thinking were the what ifs, because the doctor sat at the end of the bed saying, you know what, we need to put a defibrillator in you because you're at high risk for sudden cardiac death. Like you could die at any moment. And so we need to protect you by putting this defibrillator inside of you. And when doctors tell you that, your whole world changes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've never been diagnosed with cancer, um, but I have friends that have, and that sometimes our diagnoses wake us up Mm. um, out of this place of being self-sufficient, productive, self-reliant, women, strong women who can power through their day without really needing help, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, for some women asking for help is super easy, but for me, it was a huge challenge and a huge dose of humility to my pride when, you know, post-operative restrictions are on me and I can't lift either one of my kids up out of the crib or change diapers or do anything like that. And so, um, yeah, all of those emotions, but fear was the the biggest one that I had to, um, to fight through and I still fight through it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've seen walking through just a couple of, um, years of, you know, knowing you more and getting to hear some of your story. There's something that I know that has changed in you. Um, and I've heard you talk about this before. In fact, I wish I, I wish I could remember what you said directly to me about a year ago when we were at um, Jenny was doing a Bible study. Do you remember this? Yeah, uh, I do. We, I can't remember the church we were at, but Jenny Allen, yep. a mutual friend of ours was doing um, a Bible study and you and I were both there. And I remember you talking about how things just matter differently to you now. Mm-hmm. W- what's different now about Julie than previous to having this diagnosis with your heart? I feel like God has gifted me now with more of an eternal perspective than a temporary perspective. Um, And so maybe it's moving a little bit of a bird's eye view of life versus a heads down plunge through life type Mm of type of perspective. Um, And so I view suffering different now 
because I've seen fruit come through suffering. Um, and none of us want to suffer, right? None of us want to sign up for, right. hey, let's go through something really, really hard and devastating. Mm-hmm. I mean, the line would be super short if, right. for volunteers for <laughs> yes. that. Um, but in a way, like suffering has caused me to really, 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 really need Jesus. You know, um, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not defined by my diagnosis. Um, that's one thing that I had a journey through is that the diagnosis doesn't define who I am. God's word defines who I am. Mm -hmm. And just because I live with a defibrillator in my chest has not changed the number of days God has already written for my life. Mm -hmm. And so with or without a defibrillator or with or without heart disease, like, God has numbered my days and this is just part of the story the Lord has given me and he's won my affections through it and he has won my worship through it. And so when I sit down and I meet with another lady that is living with, you know, a different type of heart disease that is scary, or if I sit down with a talk with a sweet woman that's been diagnosed with breast cancer with who has tiny, tiny little people in her life, um, like, I, I cry with them because I've experienced that as a mommy saying, I'm, I'm staring my, you know, potentially the brevity of my life in the face and my heart loves, loves, loves all these little people that God has given to me and our friends and our husbands. And, um, and then at the same time, I want to say, but what a glorious thing that he's allowing us to go through this so that we can actually really, really need him. Mm. So that's how he's changed me. Mm. You know, and it's, it's, it's humbling to watch because I feel like sometimes I would assume that you would never do this because you're so kind, but you just want to scream and shake people. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're too kind to do that. But I would imagine that on the inside, sometimes you want to scream and shake women. I kind of want everybody to get it, hmm. but I don't think screaming and shaking people <laughs> is the best tactic to do that. <laughs> I don't think so either. And you would never do that. But just this almost urgency of I have something I want you to tell you. That's what I mean when I say scream and okay. shake. Like, look at me. Listen to me. What I'm trying to say to you. Um, I would imagine that you feel that sometimes. How do you balance that in your friendship worlds? Oh, um. Sometimes I don't do that very well, and I just, I really just speak very boldly and directly to people, and I'm not sure they're always ready to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, God will occasionally put discernment on me saying, I know you need to tell this person that, you know, God is real, and He's really, really working this, and truthfully working all of this awfulness stuff for good and His glory and His fame but they're not in that season to hear it yet. Mm. Um, and so for me, what I'm learning right now is that I need to, um, one, I'm blessed to be given this perspective of, of living for the, the hope that we have in the unseen, which is eternity with Jesus. Um, and at the same time, I need to meet people exactly where they are and in, the season of their processing of their suffering, Mm -hmm. wherever they are in that process. Because if the Julie now would have spoken to the Julie 
then in October in that conversation where Jamie, you were bringing story home. Like I literally was like seven days out from my surgery when I talked mm. to you. Um, and so, um, I still couldn't use my left arm that Julie back there in October, when we, when you're bringing story home from the hospital, mm-hmm. I would not have responded well to the Julie of today. Like mm. I needed, I needed to journey through this yeah. and I mm-hmm. needed the Holy spirit to work on me to show that. And so like, yes, there's, I want people to get it that like this life is not our home. Heaven is our home and heaven's going to be awesome. And because we have a hope in heaven and hope that we're going to see Jesus face to face, look at him in his eyeballs, like that is awesome. Um, And at the same time, knowing that like God's got to take them there. Mm -hmm. And that's why God gives us his word is that God's going to reveal himself into through his word. And, and that's what God's calling me to do now is just share his word and his truth with others in he has given me a story through which that's been demonstrated now, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. It makes total sense. And, and I see this play out in your life as well. And so, I mean, as I said in the beginning, it's such just a testament that people can look at your, your story and see your life and be able to see um, God working in that. And God uses stories like that to, to move in his people. So um, I love that you're being vulnerable with your story. Um, so I know that after you um, journey through that for a little while. You then constantly, I'm assuming, were living with, is, am I going to, is this going to happen to me? Am I going to have heart failure? Um, and in the book, I know you talked about one of your greatest fears was having this happen in front of your children. Yeah. Um, which as a mama, I mean, I can only imagine, I mean, it makes me cry thinking about it. Like I can only imagine what that fear felt like knowing, okay, this can happen anytime. And then you're just almost begging God, don't let it happen in front of my kids. You know, like, it's almost like, okay, God, if this is what you're going to give me, can we make a deal here? Can I still negotiate with you? (laughs) Yes. I'll take the diagnosis. Don't let me pass out in front of my kids. I know. Um, I know. It's just, I I think as parents, that's really scary to us. I remember talking to Lauren Chandler about when Matt, her husband collapsed on Thanksgiving day. And she said one of the hardest things were her kids were all right there. I mean, you know, and so as a parent, we just don't want that. Um, Well, I was just going to say as a mommy, we just want to protect our kids. mm -hmm. We want to protect them from harm. But at the same time, like God's going to use hard things in their lives too to write their stories. Yep. God doesn't just start writing our stories when we get like 18. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I think it's sometimes true. we think that, you know, and as parents, well, I mean, I feel the same way that what you just said is that like whatever God has called, I always say whatever he's calling myself and Aaron uh, to do or to suffer through or go whatever, like he he knew our family at the time when he, when, you know, determined that. Yep. So it's no surprise when when God's plan for Julie was this, that she would have two boys. You know, it just was never a surprise. Yeah. Hey guys, I want to jump in here real quick and thank another one of the partners for today's show. Um, These partners make this show possible, and so I'm grateful for them. I want to thank Prodigal Pottery. Prodigal Pottery is handmade in Birmingham, Alabama by women fleeing homelessness and domestic abuse. Prodigal Pottery's mission is to provide a safe and therapeutic work environment for women in need. They work to develop healthy professional skills, interpersonal relationships, and spiritual depth for the women they employ. Lives are literally being transformed daily in the Prodigal Pottery Studio as these women are being shown love, grace, and entrepreneur skills to help them take bold steps towards stability and restoration. 
Prodigal Pottery wants to offer all of the wonderful Happy Hour listeners 15% off your entire order of pottery. Use the coupon code HAPPYHOUR to get the special deal and purchase with the confidence that you are buying gifts that give back. Go to prodigalpottery.org and use the code word HAPPYHOUR to get 15% off. Okay, guys, back to my conversation with Julie. Can we talk a little bit about that day at church? Oh, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I actually really remember this because um, I think I might have been at the campus that you were at when this happened. Yeah, I think you were. Um, And so, you know, word traveled pretty quickly about what was happening and and I knew you at this time. And so um, just set up the story real quick about how far what you're about to tell us about. And and you don't have to share everything. You, You do a good job of sharing it in the book about how far into this journey did this happen at church? Sure. So this was about a year, 15 months or so after diagnosis. Um, And at that point, my heart had stabilized from the standpoint. So like thinking that I would need a transplant at some point, that was totally off the table. Mm -hmm. So the Lord really used um, the medications to keep my heart um, functioning kind of where it was from deteriorating. Mm -hmm. And so... um, and so I was taking a um, women's development course at that point, um, which is like some training that our church does. And we were each asked to um, share a little bit about our journeys um, one morning in basically like our Sunday school class area. And so I had just shared um, what God had been working and how God had been working in my heart over the last year through um, living day to day and living presently and um, how he was rescuing me from fear and from darkness and bringing me back into the light. And so basically he just shared all of these really hard emotional things with these ladies in this classroom. And Julie, when I read the book, I did not know that that had (laughs) happened right before what you're about to tell us. And I just remember thinking... Golly, that is so crazy. I know. I mean, it is kind of crazy. It's crazy. Okay. Keep like, going. I'm just, I'm literally just confessing to these ladies, like, I'm not scared to die. And I trust that God's <laughs> going to take care of my kids. <laughs> did then, you really believe that? I mean, did you really believe was, that? He was working on me. Yeah. 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 He was working on me. Um, I didn't like it. Because I didn't I, like that answer. Right. I know sometimes we say things that we're teaching our heart to believe, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Like fake it till it's real yeah and it's like you really you know it's true and you know that you do believe it yeah there's probably sometimes you have to tell yourself that every day so that it it becomes truth that's that's my point here yeah we all have things like that i have things i'm working on right now about that but yes yeah like lord help my unbelief yes yes exactly that this is true (laughs) yes exactly yes so anyway so i just shared that and i was leaving the classroom to go pick up my kids from the nursery. So at this point, Noah had just turned three and Hunter was about 15 months of age. And all I know is that I'm feeling a bunch of pressure in my neck and I can't breathe. And then I'm starting to feel all of those same fuzzy, lightheaded, crazy feelings that I was feeling in the OR that day that Hunter was born. And I recognize this feeling. I was like, something, something is not right. Yeah. That's all I knew. I was like, I am not going to self-diagnose. <laughs> I am just going to say something is not right. 
But what's funny is that the kids were in two different classrooms. So I went and picked up Noah and then I walked over down the hall and around the corner to get Hunter. And, but by the time I got to Hunter's classroom, which was probably a couple minutes in between both boys was like, I couldn't even sign my name on the sign out sheet. Oh, and I asked the girls, I still can't believe I asked them. This. I can't I like, either. I know what you're about to say. And I cannot I believe like, this. Can y'all, can y'all help me load them up in the car? Cause <laughs> I don't think I have the energy or the stamina to load them up in the car, but I'll be fine driving them. I know. Home. I'm like, Julie, where are you going to go? <laughs> and then within like three seconds, I was like, you know what? Never mind. I am going, I'm about to pass out and you need to call 911. And you need to call my husband and, you know, and so anyways, and then I dropped to the floor. And mm-hmm. so like my worst fear of like me collapsing in front of my kids just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, really thought that was, that was it. Like mm-hmm. I remember laying there on the floor. I remember Jen and Kimberly like, being on top of me praying and me looking up at them. I mean, I don't even remember if I opened my eyes. I don't think I did, but I was like, y'all have got to tell the boys about Jesus. Cause he's taken me home. Like, like this is it. Like this God gave me 15 months and I'm so thankful for these 15 months. The Lord gave me. Um, and I really thought it was my time to go home. Yeah. So anyways, lo and behold, at that point in time, a little 33 year old had a massive heart attack on the floor of a church building. And not only did you collapse in front of your two boys, well, <laughs> 20 other little kids as well. I know. I Which, know. That kind of makes me giggle. It's not funny at all, but it makes me just think like your greatest fear. And then here you were, but man, Julie, thanks be to God that you were there. I mean, and not in your car, Oh, absolutely. Um, not at home by yourself with your boys. I mean, that yeah. makes me just cry because that it I wouldn't know. have been the same outcome, you know? It wouldn't have. Yeah. So you collapse and our friends, Jen and Kimberly are praying over you and um, a doctor comes and um, they call 911 and you have a heart attack. Yeah. So they take you to the hospital. And then what's your next memory that you have? Um, the Well, it's not the next memory, but it's the, well, of course, this is happening, like memory of the ER doctor saying that the first blood work test looked fine, but then he comes in shaking his head and looking down at the ground. He's like, I don't know how this happened, but you like your number skyrocketed. Like you had a massive insult to your heart and we've got to take you up and do another surgery to check out what your coronary arteries look like. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's just the disbelief of, you know, you know what? Heart disease doesn't discriminate either. Just mm-hmm. like suffering doesn't discriminate. Doesn't matter what you look like, where you grew up, who you are, what family you came from. Like this life is going to throw hard things at us. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been five years ago. Yes. Five years ago. Um, what is your diagnosis now? Is it the same? What is, what does your heart look like these days? Um, my heart looks Okay, it look it doesn't look normal, but it's not um well, medically speaking, it's still technically called heart failure, but it's not really heart it's not failing in the layman's terms. Mm-hmm. Um it just it's not squeezing as well as a normal person's heart would, but it's not squeezing horribly or poorly, if right. that makes sense. Yes. Um and I still have my arrhythmia, so 
I'm, I'm stuck with this defibrillator in my chest for the duration of my life. Um, and I take medications and I'm, I'm reliant on those medications, um, to keep me where I am. And I know that, you know, I've had several bouts in the last seven years where my heart function improves, um, incrementally. And then it's almost like in two year intervals, then it goes back to where it was when I was first diagnosed. And then Mm -hmm. we increase my medication and it incrementally increases again and looks better and better. And then, you know, so that's happened twice so far. So (laughs) just yesterday I was at work and one of the sonographers was asking, he's like, how's your heart doing? And I'm like, you know, I'm not sure how to answer that question because mentally I know that my two-year checkup timeline is Uh, coming up. uh (laughs) And I'm like, I'm a little nervous to go get my echocardiogram this year because, you know, know am I going to be... normally happens, yeah. Am am I going to hit that two-year mark where it doesn't look as good anymore? But, you know, regardless, you know, like I said earlier, like God's got my days numbered. And so I can't, I I can't allow that to rock me anymore. It can't be you know, where I, I dwell on that. I don't need to dwell on that. I need to dwell on his word and his truth. Did you have that ICD when you had the heart attack at church? Yes, I did. Did it jump in for your heart? Um, it did not. Is it supposed to? Um, it, it was, yes. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. There we go. (laughs) Okay. No, it actually, it paced me. So it'll shock me when my heart rhythm gets really, really um, my heart rate gets really, really high, but when your heart rate gets really, really low, it starts pacing you like a pacemaker. So it okay. did pace me that okay. day. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Julie, I know because I get the emails from people listening to this show. Um, we have a lot of people that listen that are just walking through hard times. Um, whether that be, um, marriage problems, sickness, um, wayward kids, um, loss of dreams, all kinds of things. And if you could sit across from one of them and look them in the eye, what would you say to them? I'd say that Jesus sees you and that he's with you in it, regardless of whether or not you feel him or not. Um, God is pursuing after us in the midst of our suffering. And, um, and that he's faithful p- to persevere his children in the faith. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I would want to encourage someone to say, I know this really stinks. And I know you want to go hit a punching bag. And or at least that's what I would want to do. I would want to hit a punching bag because I'd be so frustrated and, and upset. Um, but to know that this life is not our forever home. And... Mm. And God's going to work all of this, all of it, even, even the things where our mind can't even comprehend how in the world is Jesus actually going to work this much devastation for his glory. But that's just what he does. He's, mm-hmm. That's his business. He, his business is to take some ugliness that the evil one has tried to construe. And Jesus always has the last word, you know, take that, look at this, look at the fruit I'm going to build from this woman's life mm-hmm. right where she is in the midst of this. Look at how other people are going to come to faith through this. And when we're in the middle of it, we can't see it. Um, but if we can persevere and cling to God's truth and his promises of his word, you know, he'll allow us to see it in hindsight. 
And when we see it in hindsight and we remember what God has done in our life, it's going to spur us on and encourage us through the next bout of suffering. Because I may have heart disease right now, but there's another bout of suffering for our lives around the corner. And we don't know what that is yet, but we can be assured that something's coming. You know, yep, we, yep. we don't, we don't get one round of suffering and call it a day for our life. Like exactly. You know, it's round one, two, three, four, five, six, mm-hmm. seven, eight, nine, ten until he takes us home. So, yeah. Mm. Did you ever see that movie Still Magnolias? I did, but it's been a long time. Do you remember at the end when um, the the husband and they're all at this like celebration after remember Julia Roberts dies? Anyhow, her mom is there walking around at that Easter celebration and she's so, so sad. And then the two women are like, if you just feel like punching someone, they're like, here, punch Weezy. <laughs> Weezy. Do you remember that? <laughs> that yes, I always do. think of that. Like, even when you just said, like, you just want to punch a punching bag. I remember those two ladies and they're like, <laughs> if you just want to punch something, here, punch. Was her name Weezer? I think. Well, or I don't Weezy know. Or something That's like what that. I called her. Yeah. And they pushed her in front of it, and then everyone just started laughing. And um, oh. I just thought of that when you're saying that, that sometimes we really do just feel as though we just are so angry. But um, I love your and words. It's okay. Yes, I, that's exactly it's okay right. Okay to be upset and angry and want to hit something. Yeah. Um, as long as we don't stay there mm-hmm. and we move through it, keep moving forward. Yep. Mm. Yep. Well, Julie, I um, am so thankful for you um, being obedient to God and following um, him asking you to put this down into into paper. And I know you've said it to me before, and I think that you get the impression when you read the book, each chapter ends with a letter from you to your boys. Um, yes. And you have three boys now since this all happened. Um, mm-hmm. Noah, Hunter, and then little Joshua came around. You've told me, and and I would be interested to hear before I get to what you're loving these days. Why was it important for you to write a letter to your boys at the end of each chapter? Because I want them to know me and I want them to know Jesus. Maybe I said those in the wrong order. They need, I want them to know Jesus and I want them to know their mommy. Yeah. And what Jesus was doing um, in their mommy. And so that was important to me. There, There are lessons that I was learning, am continuing to learn, and I just wanted to leave them with that. Mm-hmm. And so I keep, you know, years ago, I started writing journals, and I keep a journal for each one of the boys. And I write in them about once a month, and I write, you know, what I see in their life, to funny things that we've done together, to, oh, mommy messed up, and I'm sorry I did this, and this is what God's teaching me through you know, mommy's sin. And so I just, you know, I'm leaving those journals for them too to have one day. And, um, and so writing these letters was just an outpouring of what I started doing for them, you know, years ago. Mm. I love it. And you write a journal to them every month. Julie Manning, that's amazing. (laughs) You're silly. That's amazing. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you what you're loving and what you're reading, but can I read one of your letters to your boys real quick? Sure. Okay. I'm going to read this one because it's a, it's one I loved. Uh, it says, boys, you know, I love you. These words flow from my lips as often as they are present in my thoughts. If the Lord wills and he allows me to watch you grow from little boys to young men, then I will continue to speak those words over you. You may grow tired of hearing me say, I love you to heaven and back. 
You might even become embarrassed in middle school if I share these words with you in front of your friends. But you must know, I will never stop saying them to you because these words are true. You also know that my love is imperfect. I often find myself asking you for forgiveness because I do not always love you well. There are times I raise my voice or discipline you out of anger rather than love. And though my love is bound by the boundaries of imperfection, God's love for you is perfect. His love for you far exceeds the capacity of my human heart. He formed you. He breathed life into your bodies and your souls. His love never fails and his love never gives up. His love endures all things. His perfect love has formed the best plan for your life as he works out your sanctification. And so I must in return trust that his love over your life is deeper and better than my love ever will be because his love is without flaw. May your life forever rest in his arms of love. My heart, mommy. I love them so much, Julie. I you cried made through my many, eyeballs get wet. I know. I cried through many of your letters to your boys as a mama to boys as well. Um, okay. Well, I'll say it again. Thanks for sharing your story and for all those kind of things. Now, I want to hear what you're loving. So what are three things that Julie Manning <laughs> is loving these days? Well, this may or may not come as a surprise, but the things that I'm loving are things that we're doing together as a family. Uh-huh. And so one thing that we've been doing a lot, and it started this past summer, is that we play a bunch of card games with our boys. Okay, so, so tell me what games, because we all, all of us mamas need games our kids can play with us. I know. And so, well, one of us called Antarctica, and I don't know if it's actually the name Antarctica, like if that's the name of the game or if it's just somebody made that up. Okay. But it's kind of a glorified version of gin rummy. Okay. We play rounds with it. Um, but we play hearts and we... Um, and we play another game called Cards and Marbles, um, which um, Brooke and Corey Wagner actually introduced us to that uh-huh. game. But we just have fun on the weekends playing playing card games with our oldest two boys. Okay, love that. Um, another thing, and you may laugh at this one too, is that we have been watching America's funniest home videos like old school version yes like from like the 90s <laughs> with yes. our boys uh-huh. and they think it's so hilarious like and so the videos actually aren't funny at all at least they're not to my adult brain right. but to see a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old like run to the bathroom because they have to go pee in their pants um, oh my gosh. Them, i mean it's just been really really fun that is hilarious i sometimes my kids will watch those as well um, and it's fun to watch your kids crack up over something yeah. that in your head, you're like, it's so dumb, but and you're like shaking your head going, how do we think that was funny? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. But it yes. is hilarious. Yes. Okay. I love that. Yeah. And then we, so in our backyard, we have an area where there's a basketball goal and we can put a net up and, um, <laughs> we started playing badminton as a family. <laughs> That is hilarious, Julie. And so we're like running around in the backyard playing badminton. And I kind of feel like we need to have an English accent when we're playing. I don't even know if it's an English game, but I'm like, oh, can, come over here, boys. Oh, you missed a shot. <laughs> and then have tea afterwards. And we'll have tea and crumpets. Yes. yes. So yes. Great. I don't even know what I said or even if those words exist. But That is hilarious. So those I would love to see you and John playing that with your boys. <laughs> That's hilarious. So funny. Okay. Well, if anyone can tell, Julie, you love your family and it's evident um, through that. Um, Okay. What about reading? Are you, have you read anything good lately? Well, you know, I, and you know this, when you start writing a book, I was scared to read anything while I was writing because I was like, I don't, I don't want to 
accidentally include something in there that somebody else has already written or even be insecure, like, oh, that message is already shared, so I don't yep. need to share it, you know? Yep. And and so all those insecurities. But um, I did start reading again, and I really, I like um, autobiographies or biographies, just historical context and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I read Killing Regan not too long ago, and it's by Riley O'Reilly. Yes. And it's really... I just thought it was really interesting and fascinating. And it's just a historical book about Ronald Reagan and basically his life. Um, And then I read Lauren Chandler's Steadfast Love, Mm -hmm. which I needed to read. Um, You know, they went through a big season of hard things when, when Matt, Mm -hmm. you know, collapsed and had that brain tumor and, knowing that, you know, we don't know if and when it's coming back. Um, and so just reading through God's Word that Lauren shared in that book really, really um, was meaningful to mm. where I was at the time that I was reading through it. Because even though, you know, God has worked me through a lot of fears, those fears creep in and I still have to battle them away um, with His Word. And so that was really great. Um, and then I just started reading Jenny's book, Nothing to Prove. Mm. I haven't, I'm only like, two chapters in, so I haven't really gotten far, but that's the my current book on my nightstand. I cannot wait to read her book, but I'm in the stage where I can't read anything right now. Like, so yeah. I know what you're talking about. I know. Um, Cause then you also start to feel like, why am I even doing this? This is so good. I, I'm, th- someone's I already done it. This is done. And the enemy just starts lying to you. So I know I haven't been reading much either. But that's, and you're right. The enemy is lying because mm-hmm. we yeah, all, it's so true. We all have stories to share and you know what? Sharing God's truth never gets old. Yep, that's exactly right. And God uses different stories from different people and different circumstances um, yep. to bring him glory um, and through different seasons of different other people's lives, if that makes sense. So I'm trying to say. Totally. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, yeah. And if anyone wants to hear more about Lauren and Matt's story, she was on the show um, episode number 90. So that was a little bit mm-hmm. back. But since this is number 128, uh, but it's the same story. It just kind of crazy. 128, Jamie. Yes. You're 120. You're number 128. That's nuts. It is nuts, isn't it? (laughs) I sometimes think I'm like, this is so crazy that I'm still doing this. Oh, I, well, you're, you are using your giftings, girl. Well, thanks. I really, really like it. I love it a lot. Um, Okay. Julie, it has been my absolute joy to spend an hour with you, even if we're just over the phone. But I loved it. Um, thank you so much for um, your honesty and your vulnerability. And I'll put all the links up for your book, but it's called My Heart, Every Beat Surrendered to Our Unchanging God by Julie Manning. And it just came out this month, uh, which isn't February also um, heart, heart month. month. Is that what it's called? I almost said that and it didn't sound right. Heart month? <laughs> like, it doesn't seem right. Is that right? It, it is right. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Which is um, all about educating about heart issues, which is like you said, it's so crazy. I don't know if you know this about um, my family, but uh, my mom, I guess seven years ago had a heart attack. Really? And then she had two heart attacks after that. And she is fit and healthy, vegetarian, walks every day, doesn't eat milk, sugar, nothing. I mean, she is so healthy. Yeah. And it just, it doesn't, it just is a, a weird thing, isn't it? 
It is. Yeah, I know. Um, well, Julie, thank you for joining me on the happy hour. And um, I am excited to get this book in everyone's hands. And so thank you for doing that. And enjoy the rest of your week with your people. Thank you. You too. Get out there and go play some badminton. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think one of your boys is going to have like a badminton birthday party and introduce all their kids <laughs> to this fun game. And he's like, there's this fun game me and my parents play on the weekend. It's called badminton. <laughs> all the parents are going to be like, is this really what I think it is? <laughs> yeah. Julie, John and Julie are no longer cool parents anymore. <laughs> hey, do it now while your kids don't even care, right? That's I mean, right. your kids love it. So go for it. Um, That's right. So, okay, Julie, thank you. All right. Talk to you later. Guys, I loved having my friend Julie on the show. And we giggled at the beginning because, really, we live in the exact same city. um, And we still did our conversation over Skype just because she has three kids. She works and I work and all the things. But it was such a joy to talk with her. And Julie texted me afterwards. And she's like, can we just Skype once a week? It was so much fun. And I totally agree. Um, Julie is one of the most kindest women I've ever met in my entire life. And I know that that came through in our conversation today. Um, Her story has literally changed so many lives. And I know that it will continue to change lives. Um, I know that Julie was reluctant to write down her story. Um, But as we talked about at the beginning, stories really are a reflection of what God has done in our world. And so Julie is being faithful with that. And so I hope that you check out her book. You can get on Amazon and the link will be on my webpage, jamieivy.com. All right, guys. And lastly, I want to thank our last partner uh, for this show. And I just want you to know that sponsors and partners for the happy hour, they literally make it possible for us to put this show out without having to ever charge you for a show. So I am I am so grateful to people that's come alongside us. Um, the last sponsor for this show is The Heart of Marriage by Don Camp. Um, and it's a book that Ravel put out. And they said the best marriages are not perfect. Hello. We all know that. Marriage is about walking together through all of life's ups and downs, its challenges and triumphs. Collecting true stories from some of today's best writers, Don Camp invites you to reflect on the heart of marriage. With beautiful photographs and poignant prose, this collection is perfect for the good days, the hard days, and all the days in between. With stories from Crystal Payne and Lisa Jo Baker, Alexander Kirkendall, Holly Gerth, Renee Swope, Kristen Welch, and so many more, you're going to enjoy this book. So check out The Heart of Marriage by Don Camp. Guys, today's show was edited by Logan Garza, and the music is from Jason Poe. Next week, my guest is Rebecca Lyons, and although we haven't spent a lot of time together, Rebecca and I, every single time I hear her, I am deeply challenged and encouraged. Uh, Her message at IF was one of my favorite, and so I know you're going to enjoy our conversation as well. And this Friday is the Happy Half Hour, and my friend Jenny Allen will be joining me, so check that out as well. It's just a 30-minute show to get you through the weekend. Guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend and have a happy hour with a friend. I'll see you on Friday, and then I'll see you next Wednesday with Rebecca. Bye, guys. Hey guys, you are listening to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am Jamie and I'm your host and I'm so glad that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. 
We bring you new shows every Wednesday and Fridays, and an amazing guest always joins me to chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Subscribe today to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey on your podcast player so you never miss an episode.